Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. When we think about disease, many of us assume that it is something that's a matter of genetics. My guest today says most diseases begin in the gut. At 17 years old, Dr. Stephen Cabral was diagnosed with a life-altering illness and given no hope for recovery. He went through severe health complications, saw over 50 different doctors, tried over 100 different treatment protocols, but had no signs of healing. Only after studying and traveling around the world and understanding how to combine ancient Ayurvedic healing practices with state-of-the-art naturopathic and functional medicine, did he learn how to fully rebalance his body and re-energize it with life. Dr. Stephen Cabral is a board-certified naturopath, Ayurvedic, functional medicine, and integrative health practitioner. He's the founder, creator, and teacher of the Integrative Health Practitioner Institute. Dr. Cabral is the author of two books, A Man's Guide to Muscle and Strength and The Rain Barrel Effect. He's also the host of the daily podcast called The Cabral Concept, where he shares his knowledge about how to heal, get well, lose weight, be fit, and live the best life possible. Ariana Summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized Podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Dr. Cabral, thank you so much for making time today. Welcome to the Superhumanized podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me on, and I'm looking forward to our chat today. Likewise. And what is one of my favorite things is when a person's life calling actually springs from a deep personal desire or also need. And in your case, I think it would be really great to give the audience a little bit of background on your own health and wellness journey, because you yourself went through quite a lot before you immersed yourself in becoming a healer, right? Yeah, absolutely. Grew up in just a regular family, nothing too wild. We certainly didn't know anything about natural health. Typically woke up, ate cereal for breakfast, drank some fruit juice or Kool-Aid. When I first woke up, went to school, had a salami sandwich with a big glass of milk, and then came home and had some pasta or hot dogs or whatever it might be. And I think a lot of people, that's just and I didn't realize that type of nutrition would be affecting my body, causing things like allergies and borderline asthma, some acne when I was a teenager and common cold. Every few months, you'd get a cold, especially during the winter. Then I had to get like tubes in my ears. I had to have my tonsils out, my adenoids out, all these different things that conventional medicine just says, well, if they're swollen and they're inhibiting you, well, we'll just cut them out of your body. 
And which is really interesting because you're literally cutting out lymph nodes in the way that your body cleans itself. So it's like, how is it supposed to do it after that? That's never a question that's asked. But what happened was when I was 17, I call it the rain barrel, my rain barrel overflowed and then I got extremely sick. So I woke up one day and again, it wasn't out of the blue, but we thought it was out of the blue. I had swollen glands all over my whole body. So my, my lymph nodes in my neck, my armpits, my groin, my whole body was inflamed. And that was two years of going then from doctor to doctor, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Eventually, it was figured out I had Addison's disease, which is the shutting down of the adrenal glands. They no longer produce cortisol. So you no longer, we think of cortisol as bad, but it's also an anti-inflammatory. It also helps your immune system. So I was walking around like a zombie. If you don't produce cortisol in the morning, you don't wake up. Your, mm. your melatonin could just keep being produced. I had rheumatoid arthritis, so I had an autoimmune issue. I had type 2 diabetes. I had something called myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is joint pain, like flu-like symptoms all the time, just complete exhaustion. And another really bad one was mastocytosis, which is basically just allergies to the 10x level. So hives, uh, environmental sensitivities, my eyes would swell up. And it was, it was obviously a really difficult time. Conventional medicine, the only answers they had was to give me a handful of medication every day, which I took because I thought that was the road to healing. And although it did help with many of my symptoms, this was around the year 2000 or so, I began to read more and realize that people with these diseases this young, they didn't typically live a very long life. And the medications were a part of that. So I began to seek out alternative methods for how I might heal my body. And it wasn't easy back then in the late 90s and early 2000s, just getting finding these practitioners was hard because there wasn't anything online. Back in the day, you'd have to use the yellow pages or get a referral. So it wasn't like it is today. We take for granted that it's amazing today. And, but a long story short or shorter, I eventually found a practitioner that helped me find the underlying root causes, which were massive gut issues, candida, SIBO, bacterial overgrowth, and H. pylori, along with just mass stress, sympathetic nervous system stress, and a few other issues. And I was able to correct those by using Ayurvedic functional medicine at home lab testing and traditional naturopathy in order to heal. And when I met her, uh, I healed within six months. So all that time, almost 10 years of suffering, and she was able to piece things together within six months and, and help me to heal. And now it's been many years since then, 15 plus years. And I again, I'm totally disease-free, which is why I'm sure we'll get to it, but genetics matter, but they only matter so much because I didn't have the diseases when I was very young. I had them from 17 to 27, then I haven't had them since. And I have the same genetics. So I just, my story is to share one of, doesn't matter what your genetics are, even if they're not great like mine, you can overcome them. Outstanding. Thank you for sharing your story with us, Stephen. And it resonates so much what you told about how you grew up and the kinds of foods you ate. And that was very similar to me. I had by far not the types of problems that you had. I had more allergy symptoms, skin symptoms, but also after changing diet, what was considered normal and healthy. Our parents didn't want to do us harm. They didn't just didn't know any better. All of that subsided. And I'm truly amazed that your healing journey after you were fortunate to find these people who really knew what they were doing, that it took you only six months to basically rectify and change it. 10 years of suffering that you went through before. And I think you also explained a lot of that since you mentioned it in your book, The Rain Barrel Effect, how a 6,000-year-old answer holds the secret to finally getting well, losing 
weight and feeling alive again. And I think that's one of the keys actually to not just survive, but to thrive with this life that we've been given. And instead of feeling sick and helpless and hopeless all the time, and you just mentioned it as well. When we think about disease, many of us usually assume it's something that's a matter of genetic. You, however, say all diseases begin in the gut. Why? If we look at all diseases out there, and we're talking about 90%, so 90 plus percent, and I'm not what I'm not really talking about are congenital based diseases that a person might be born with right from birth. That is a different story. But for the most part, people are living at least 10 years less because they're dying from some type of heart disease, cardiovascular issue, high blood pressure or stroke complications. That's basically two. Then obesity and diabetes, type 2 diabetes. 90% of people with type 2 diabetes are typically obese. And again, I want to be sensitive in this area, but I also want to say that uh, obesity leads to all the other things we're talking about as well. And the fourth one is cancer. And so if you don't get one of those four, then the likelihood you don't die average age is 74 to 77 years old, male or female, and you'll probably live another 10 years. That's what it's showing, meaning easily to your late 80s. Okay, so now you get 10 years back, but you don't just get 10 years back, you get quality of life back. If you're not on a, I don't, many people are on statin drugs. It makes your body weaker. We know that. Okay. It's lowering your cholesterol, but it is actually weakening your heart. It's called cardiomyopathy. It weakens the heart at the same time. We have that. And then we have autoimmune issues, right? So there's over 60 million people just in the US suffering from autoimmune issues. That's essentially like one out of four adults. And it's much more at a functional level. And all of those have inflammation. So if all of those, the key to all those four, plus the, all the autoimmune is inflammation, but inflammation, is something that we try to squelch with ibuprofen and conventional medicine or steroids or biological drugs for autoimmune issues. But in natural health, we try to squelch it with just using turmeric or other things. And I'm not saying there's a time and place to get rid of those symptoms, but inflammation is not an underlying root cause. So we have to then ask ourselves, what caused the inflammation? And then people can say, well, I have MTHFR genetic mutations. And I would say, okay, that's true, but what set those off? And so then we start to look closer and we say, okay, if we really look at what's the main causes of inflammation, we can say it's stress-related and that's some type of emotional stress, relationship stress. That's a big trigger for disease, but there's usually an even deeper underlying root cause, and that is gut-based issues. And that's because our digestive system is supplying us with all the nutrients we need. And also it's meant to be essentially a 26, 28-foot tube from our mouth all the way out through the anus, which doesn't allow bad stuff into our body. But when we have parasites or H. pylori or yeast or bacterial imbalances and inflammation there, the gaps in the intestinal lumen begin to increase a little bit. And they're always naturally a little bit permeable just to let out some amino acids, fatty acids from healthy fats and sugar, glucose molecules from carbohydrates. Uh, and that's meant to go in the bloodstream, move through the body, go through the liver and supply our body with nutrients and same with the vitamins and minerals. But what happens is when it's a little bit more permeable, and I know you've covered this in the show, it allows bacteria and larger protein strands or larger amino acids out. And then the immune system turns on to a greater degree, creating inflammation. Now our genetics turn on and say, okay, that's auto, that's basically rheumatoid arthritis for me, but maybe for you, it's a skin issue. Maybe it's for many people, many women that I work with, they have Hashimoto's. So they have thyroiditis or Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And then someone else might have MS. Another person is lupus, another person fibromyalgia. But really we're talking about 
the same underlying root cause that manifests then what our genetics predispose us to have. So how do we get started when we want to fix this? And also I'd like to delve a little bit deeper into the main digestive overgrowth imbalances to go through that. You've mentioned CFO before, and I believe there's one that's relatively new and correct me if I pronounce it wrong, LIFO. So what are the mostly seen problems, underlying problems, and then how do we begin to fix them? I'm aware that it's also, of course, up to the individual and their condition, but is are there a few general things that people could start doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's, no matter what acronym we give it, like SIBO is just small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. We can give it all sorts of fun names, but really all were like Candida albicans, Candida tropicanus, Candida, like it's a yeast, right? It's a fungus. And all SIBO or bacterial issues are bacterial imbalances because we have so many different types of bacteria in our gut. We can know them as probiotics, but there's also, so basically there's good gut bacteria. There's commensural bacteria, which is kind of neutral. It could go either way. And then there's pathogenic bacteria. And even some of the pathogenic bacteria like E. coli mm-hmm. were meant to have, it actually helps produce vitamin K and other nutrients, but just not overgrown. And then, so I basically I talked about yeast overgrowth, bacterial overgrowth, and then you can have another bacteria in the stomach that can move around the body, but mainly in the stomach. And that's called H. pylori. That's Helicobacter pylori. And that's from undercooked fish, undercooked meat, or believe it or not, just like a salad bar, like you can get it from a salad bar. And about one third of the people around the world have H. pylori. And what it does, it causes stomach ulcers. That's the number one thing, but it can also cause stomach cancer. And it can also weaken your digestion because it affects the amount of hydrochloric acid you produce because it actually preferentially uses up hydrogen. So you to break down food, you need hydrogen chloride. And if the hydrogen is missing, you can't make hydrogen chloride. That's the third one. And then the fourth one is parasites. And there's all sorts of different parasites. So there's not just one type of parasites. There's three to four main types of parasites. But again, they're all in, they're all living inside of you and they can come from the same places, undercooked fish, undercooked meat, or a salad bar. And that's because they're living in the soil, living on plants, living in animals, and they're probably greatest seen in fish. And so what happens is when you get any one of these four, then, and you can get the bacterial overgrowth and the yeast overgrowth, not from catching it. You get it from taking antibiotics, birth control, too much tap water with chlorine in it. You you can get it by disturbing your gut balance. The most common is antibiotics. Even just one course, believe it or not, could cause many people to become imbalanced. So the way that you've got... I have a quick question because antibiotics, this is a huge elephant in the room. So many people are used to taking them whenever something pops up, even if it's something that it's not necessary for. And I personally know quite a few people who have been on low dose antibiotics for, let's say it's a mild eye infection or such. And doctors have prescribed them for years being on a low dose antibiotic. So what does that do? Yeah. Then there's low dose antibiotic is a bit of a misnomer, right? It's like, it's, you, you can't really be on a low dose or it wouldn't be effective. It's an antibacterial, right? So an antibiotic means it's an antibacterial. There's some type of infection in your body and you take an antibiotic to kill it. And so it has its purposes. So I just want to state, like, I'm not against conventional medicine. I refer out for conventional medicine if there's a life-threatening condition. So a Conventional medicine is basically your medical doctor or the emergency room. That's what you use conventional medicine for. And so I believe in that. Someone, let's say someone's like 80 years old and they have pneumonia, it's better for them to go to the hospital than it is for them to see me because I have no idea their health history. I don't know how strong their body is. They've got fluid in their lungs. 
go to the hospital. That makes a whole lot more sense. And yes, you'll be put on antibiotics for pneumonia. And and it's probably the wise thing to do. But the truth is that I would never recommend antibiotics unless it was in a life-saving condition. Because what I didn't state as part of my story is the reason why I ended up where I ended up is I was already doing the wrong things through childhood. But at 17, I shouldn't have ended up with all of these issues. I took antibiotics for a skin condition for three Mm -hmm. years straight. So from 14 to 17, I was put on antibiotics, amoxicillin twice a day. So keep in mind from the age of one through 17, I would take a Z-Pak or a Zithromycin or amoxicillin maybe six times a year. My, my pedi- there was five kids, on, there was, sorry, there was four kids under the age of five. Our, our pediatrician basically just said, listen, here's some Z-Packs to keep in your house. And every time we got a cold then, we took an antibiotic. We know now that just makes your body more susceptible to bacterial-based infections, and most colds are viral-based, and the antibiotics do nothing for it. So what happened was that antibiotic, I took over 3,000 capsules of antibiotics before I was 10 years old. It destroyed my gut. And in turn, it also destroyed my immune system because antibiotics weren't working for me anymore. And good luck trying to you know fix anything even from infection-wise. So antibiotics are very dangerous. Conventional medicine is now becoming more aware of it. Luckily, not all, but at least a small percentage of doctors are not giving people antibiotics for cold-based symptoms, but they're devastating. They wipe out the good bacteria in your gut. We know that 80% of your immune system lives in and around your digestive tract, your immune system, around that 26 feet of digestive tract. And it's again, it's just weakening your body's defenses and causing more gut permeability. So it's unfortunate and they are needed but only again in life-saving situations. I could not agree more with you. Thank you for allowing me to go off on that tangent. It is important because it's the number one way that people imbalance their gut. And if you look at it, parents are always trying to do the right thing for their kids. And how if your doctor is telling you that your child needs an antibiotic, who are you to say no? And it's a tough decision as a parent. I have two daughters. They're seven and nine years old. I'm fortunate that I, of course, get to... I have this understanding and knowledge now, but my parents didn't. And so they did what they felt was best. And the dermatologist said, hey, take the amoxicillin. It's going to cut down on the acne. And you know what it did? Okay. Antibiotics can help with bacterial-based bacterial acne, but so could have fixing my diet and nutrition. Uh, so could drinking water instead of drinking iced tea and Kool-Aid. Like <laughs> That would have helped as well. The truth is that we don't know what we don't know, but once we do, we need to fix that. And the other thing is that um, you can test now. So that kind of brings us to how do you know if something's wrong with your gut? You can run at-home lab testing. There's a bacteria and parasite stool test that is a stool test. So you just take a stool sample for three days, small sample. You mail it in. It looks at parasites, H. pylori, bacteria, and yeast. For people that don't want to do a stool sample, there's an easier urine-based test. It's not going to look for parasites and it's not going to look for H. pylori. And that's called the Candida Metabolic and Vitamins Test, also called the OAT test. That's a great one as well. And then there's, there's GG food sensitivity tests that you can do at home. We haven't really talked about food sensitivities, but to be honest, and th- those matter because those create inflammation, but you will often find people with an imbalanced gut with lots of food sensitivities. And once they fix their gut, a lot of those food sensitivities go away. Yes. And what I think is really important to note for people who may not be that acquainted with the subject matter is it's not only food sensitivities. If we have problems in our gut, it affects everything. You've mentioned it from our immune system, even to our mood, to our hormonal balance. It really is 
one of the absolute main pillars of our health and how resilient we are and whether we're able to thrive or not. So, you know, talking about food sensitivities, I know you also have a very strong opinion about wheat and gluten. And I actually read a little something on your website where you talked about this actually in your podcast, also based on a Harvard study. What is the real reason why it is dangerous to consume wheat and gluten? So the thing we have to know about gluten, so basically it's not just wheat products. Gluten can be in, in other products. They're just gluten-containing grains. And there's the main protein in that gluten, and that's gliadin. And so oftentimes before we were testing for gluten, but we weren't testing for gliadin. And so this is kind of faceted, but the bottom line is that gluten is an inflammatory food for everyone. Now, some people don't think they have an issue with it, one, because it's not as inflammatory to them. So we either think that people are fine with gluten or they have celiac and that there's nothing in between. But that's how conventional medicine thinks. You either have a disease or you don't. But there's so many different layers within that. There's so much gray space. And the thing is, I can eat wheat and I have no digestive issues whatsoever. That's what people base their ability to eat a food on. But that, that's not the truth. So again, like nothing affects my gut. It really doesn't. I just have a stomach that can digest anything. But I'll tell you that I could wake up the next day with skin rash or hives or whatever if I eat the wrong food. And that's because there's different types of reactions. So there's an, there's a, first of all, there's a digestive reaction, right? That has nothing to do with the food sensitivity. That's just, can you digest the food? So that's fermentation in the gut. That could be slow bowel transit time. That could be improper food combining, all sorts of different things. But that's not actually a sensitivity. That's a issue digesting the food. Then we can look at sensitivities that have to do with digestion, which is like lactose and dairy. But that's still not even like a food sensitivity. That's a digestive issue. Your immune system is not reacting. You just can't process the sugar and milk called lactose because you're not producing enough lactase. And that's very normal for people. But when we look at gluten, we can have a couple different reactions. One is within hours of eating it. That's brain fog, skin mm -hmm. itchiness, hives, migraines, different type of mood, no energy. So that's an immediate IgE or IgA reaction. But the next day, the someone gets joint pain, stiffness, tiredness, skin rash, headaches. That's an either an IgM or Ig reaction, and that's a delayed response. That's an immune cell. These so when you hear Ig, just think of immunoglobulin, which means white blood cell, and they don't all act the same way. That's a delayed response, a latent response. So we test IgG to show people, listen, you don't have a digestive issue having dairy, but this is the reason why it's the number one food sensitivity, cow's milk, not goat or sheep, but cow. And you didn't think you had a gluten issue, but look at the reaction you're having in terms of inflammation a day or two days later. And then they start to realize, okay, yeah, I get it. And then they cut it out. And in three weeks of cutting it out, they're like, wow, my mood is better. I wake up clearer. I'm not as puffy. And those are big things to see. Huge. And I mean, these are, that's an immediate a reverse immediate gratification because you're actually seeing, oh, something that's not good for me. It's actually good for me to cut it out. And I see benefit from it. It's interesting how you just illuminated for us the two different types of reactions. So it is possible practically for me, I cut out gluten pretty much. Sometimes I'll still indulge it. If I'm in Paris, I'll eat a French baguette or I'll eat a croissant, but I'll notice immediately I have a very odd, like my left little finger. <laughs> 
I will get a rash um, pretty much within hours of eating something that I know is likely not that great for me. And within 24 hours or so, I will actually get a tiny little bump, which I used to curse that. Now I'm grateful for that because it's basically my body's own alarm system telling me, oh, you put something inside of me that really is not that great for me. So maybe you don't want to do it again or not that often. Now, speaking about not that often, does it obviously eating less of something that's harmful for us is better, but is it not as harmful if we eat, let's say that baguette four or five times a year, or is it actually more dangerous than we think? Yeah, that's a great question. And and the skin, just like you said, that's, I'm a huge proponent of not masking the symptom for mm-hmm. what you just said. Your skin is the largest excretory organ in your body. That means it detoxes more than any other organ in the body. And so if you see skin issues, it really does typically go back to what are you putting in it or on it? And that's a really important thing because if you take an antibiotic, if you try to push it down or cover it up, what happens is it just finds another way, another pathway to create that type of removal, essentially detoxification. Going back to then, so I just want to let everybody know, I had to go gluten-free for many years for me to really, because I got better, like I said, in six months, but then there's levels to that. So I was better and feeling amazing, but I stuck with it and then I felt even better and better. And then I got back my ability to really exercise because I had that myalgic encephalomyelitis and POTS and so on. They got that back. And so there's levels to this. And now, and this has been for like a decade, I have gluten once a week and I have no issue with it. And it's not necessarily a big assault because it goes back to that rain barrel effect. Meaning if you've emptied the rain barrel, so the rain barrel essentially, for people who don't know what a rain barrel is, it collects water coming off the house through the gutters and it allows it to go into a barrel so that it doesn't destroy your patio or your lawn or whatever it is. But eventually that barrel gets full and overflows. And if you don't keep an eye on it, it's going to do the same thing that you didn't want it to do, which is overflow and ruin your lawn and everything else. With that rain barrel, it gets full every day from not just gut issues. I'm talking about gut here today, but it could be EMFs. That could be an issue for some people. It could be food sensitivities. It could be relationship stress, work stress. It could be lack of sleep. It could be childhood trauma. Like there's all sorts of things that play into filling up that rain barrel, right? Heavy metals, mold, all the stealth pathogens. And then for then that person then who eats gluten, yeah, they get the skin rash or they get whatever. Now, maybe they're really sensitive to it. That's always a possibility, right? Like you can have innate sensitivities. I don't, I've never really eaten kidney beans, but every time I run a food sensitivity test, I'm sensitive to kidney beans. It's really random. Everybody's genetics has a few of those random ones in there that our body doesn't like. And that's always been since the dawn of time. Ayurvedic medicine talks about that. It's just some don't, don't react well with these things. But once you've really emptied that rain barrel through functional medicine detoxes, cleaning up your gut, when you have that food, it raises the rain barrel. You get, you fill up with a little bit of that water, but it doesn't overflow. And then the next day you go back to your normal diet. And so I, I live in the real world. I have two daughters. I got my family. I go out for work dinners. I enjoy myself. And I grew up Italian and Portuguese, like with my family and culture. And we always had pasta and bread. And so on a Friday night or Saturday night, I typically have pasta and bread if it's good. I'm not going to waste it on a, not a good bread and pasta meal. And I enjoy myself and I have no issues. Now, if it caused me issues, I certainly wouldn't do it. Yes. And speaking about filling up the rain barrel just a little bit once in a while, but it doesn't overflow, would you also classify that under 
something like hormesis, where you actually expose your body to some stress, but it's actually good for our bodies to every once in a while to be exposed to stress because also it activates all kinds of survival mechanisms and protection mechanisms. So I completely agree with that, but I don't look at a I don't, it's interesting because you could make a case for that because you can make a case for alcohol as a hermit or as a hermetic stressor. I, so here's the hermetic stressors that I recommend that are healthy. And now it's the degree for the per heat therapy, like sauna, yes. cold therapy, like cold plunge vegetables. I can talk about that in a moment and then size. And so we covered that. And then sunlight, mm -hmm. all of those are actually stressors in the body. Like sunlight, believe it or not, creates a stress on your skin changes it, more melanin is produced to better than defend against the sun. And of course, we provide ourselves with vitamin D. It helps with the detox process. It produces more sulforaphane. I mean, our bodies need sunlight. They're meant to have that. Of course, we don't want to get a sunburn. That's going too far. Just like we don't want to over-exercise, overdo sauna, or overdo cold plunge. And you can overdo all of those. Oh, yeah. So those are my I think healthy hermetic stressors. I know I'm leaving one out. Oh, intermittent fasting. That was the other yes. one. So intermittent fasting, another great hermetic stressor. Can it be overdone? I see it overdone all the time. And so I wouldn't put gluten in that category. And I would put alcohol in that category. Although, you know, probably I don't, I've given up, I really have given up alcohol and drinking because it really, there's no real benefit uh, to it, but I enjoy it. Like out with friends, I'm not going to just go stay at home and, and have some drinks myself. But if I'm out with some friends I haven't seen for a while, I'll have a drink like that. That's what I do. And so that's like twice. And that's how I look at it. Same applies for me. And, you know, I'm a big fan of all of the hormetic stressors that you just recommended for myself. People who know me, I'm very pale. So my sun exposure mainly happens for just a few minutes in the morning when the sun mm -hmm. rises, when it's not too high up in the sky, but it's also so beneficial. I was just trying to be sneaky and get my <laughs> croissant and red wine in here, but I'm glad to hear that you actually also partake a couple of times a month. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, because I don't want to miss out on anything either, because there's also life. We can yeah. try to do so much in our lives to live an extra 10 years or 20 years longer. But I don't want, I want that, but not at the price of not being able to enjoy myself in the moment. Yes. And now I don't need to drink alcohol to enjoy myself in the moment. I go out all the time and I don't drink water. I just have, uh, sorry, I don't drink alcohol. I just have like a sparkling water with some lime and I'm fine with that. So that's that you have to get okay with that. But then at the same time, you can say, no, I'm choosing to have whatever you want, right? When you go out and that's okay too. I just don't think people, you can't stress yourself out about being healthy because stress is besides gut issues are the two main things that really throw people off. And so I think you have to find a happy balance first, get yourself. That's the yeah. most important thing. Then when you're well, you've really earned then the opportunity to be able to have a drink, have some pasta, whatever you'd like to do. And I also think for most important, for most people, it's very important to keep in mind, you don't have to change your life unless you're in a life-threatening situation where radical change is required. But if you just want to turn it around, course correct, you don't have to change everything at once. Pick a few areas of your life, pick a few habits that you want to incorporate new good habits and bad habits that you want to let go of. And let's give yourself time until it just becomes normal to you. And and then you tackle the next change and the next is psychologically much easier. You have much more opportunity for experiencing success 
which is the opposite of stress. You feel good about yourself and then just integrate that slowly into your life. Something when I did my research about you, you are, you were talking about gut health right now, but you of course are immersed in so many different aspects of health and well-being. I have a feeling I could talk a hundred hours to you, not even begin to scratch at the surface. But there's some things that, especially with regards to digestive health, I came across that I was not familiar with before that you also have mentioned. And one thing that really it made sense, yet it boggled my mind, and I would like to learn more about it, is digestive plaque, what it is and why it should concern us. I'd love to hear more about that from you right now, Stephen. Yes, typically we refer to that as a biofilms. And I want to just make sure we're, yeah, we're on this the same topic because biofilms don't get enough talk. They're not talked about enough. There's lots of research on them and it's pretty remarkable. And it's funny because people that have done colonics and different type of work like that before have actually seen a lot of that come out. So they can kind of see it with their own eyes. And colon hydrotherapists have talked about this in the past. And I'm not recommending people, people run out and get a colonic. That's not necessarily something that you need to do in order to be healthy. Some people get a lot of benefit from them. I know a lot of practitioners have used them. I could go either way. Like I, I could be, yes, a series of three to six, but then not doing them all the time because eventually you want that colon bacteria to be stabilized. But there's also, if we're on the topic just for a moment, Colon hydrotherapy, if done correctly with a real therapist, can actually help to reshape a colon that's become twisted or prolapsed or anything like that. So there's actually benefit in that way to add some tone to it. But biofilm begins to develop oftentimes because of parasites or yeast overgrowth or bacteria. And if you think of biofilm, it's essentially like a mucus, like a thick mucusy sludge that uses fibrin, so like protein, and it uses heavy metals in order to create a casing that covers the parasites, the bacteria, or the yeast. And why this is an issue is because a lot of people will take antibiotics, antiparasitics, or even herbals and they won't actually kill all of the parasites, bacteria, and yeast. And that's because it's like the rain. Think about the rain outside. The rain would wash away everything that it touches, but we build a house over our head, and so we don't get wet from the rain, which is great. Parasites don't necessarily get touched if they built a biofilm over themselves. And so not only is the biofilm toxic, but the gut bugs under them are causing issues as well because they're literally living off of you. And so what we do and what we highly recommend is to use something like fluorofilm, a proteolytic enzyme that contains not just proteases, but it contains, there are certain enzymes that break down fungus. There are certain enzymes that break down different layers of fibrin. And it's remarkable what it does. Sometimes people just using those products will begin to pass parasites as well because the enzymes can actually break down and destroy the outside of the parasite. So if you're doing a gut healing protocol, the one we use is the CBO protocol, but people can work with any practitioner that they work want, of course. But what a protocol needs to have is first, you can either do a parasite protocol mm-hmm. or a yeast and bacteria protocol. There's definitely overlap. Both have start with a biofilm disruptor. So you have to have a biofilm disruptor. We really learned that about a decade ago. And it's, it, I would say, 5x the success that people are having. And then you're going to use an antimicrobial. So in natural health, we're not going to use an antibiotic or antiparasitic, but we're going to use oregano, cloves, thyme, powder arco, caprylic acid, like all the things that we know that kill 
yeast and bacteria. And then for parasites, you're going to want to use black walnut hulls, mimosa pudica, cloves, all those great things as well. And there's overlap. Oregano still works and thyme still works. And then the last part is you want, then you want to start to repopulate. And for the first month, if you have bacterial overgrowth, we don't put more bacteria in. I don't believe in probiotics when you already have an overgrowth of bacteria. So first we mm-hmm. do is remove, and we use a product called Spices Boulardi as a non-pathogenic yeast. It hangs out only for about two weeks in the intestines, but what it does is it space fills. So it takes the hold of the things that you're removing because your intestines aren't going to be ever sterile. They'll put something there. So Saccharomyces boulardii is a non-pathogenic yeast. It will push out pathogenic yeast. And then by month two, we then start to repopulate just with small intestinal bacteria, dairy-free lactobacillus acidophilus to set the stage. And then we'll bring in multi-strains in month three. So that's what we do. Really successful. And that took a long time to be able to develop. And now I just, again, try to share it with people because there really isn't a better way. If there was a better way, we'd be doing it. Honestly, like I'm not bound to any particular way of doing things. Whatever works best in the real world, that's what we do. Outstanding. Thank you so much for sharing that, Stephen. And I love the approach where you explained the first steps also with the uh, serapeptase, rheolytic yes. enzymes. I think especially these are gaining so much more traction nowadays. I actually have an interesting experience with serapeptase myself, just to share a, a little anecdote in you know, dissolving a cyst an ovarian mm-hmm. cyst. I was put on a program where the conventional doctor just wanted to operate on. And I was in Europe. I was like, no way. Just prescribe me pain meds to fly back over to the US in case something happens on the flight. And when I was back here, I contacted my team of healers that I have here and was put on a program, also mixture of different things, herbs and regulating hormones, but the serapeptase to actually take care of the cyst. And four weeks later, I went to another doctor here, got a check. The cyst was gone and it was quite large. So there, yes. And there's, yeah. and what you just shared also with regards to this biofilm that so many of us are schlepping in. And even when we try to help ourselves with bacterials or other things, and it just doesn't work because it's the, just this pretty much hard to destroy film inside of us. And I think it's fantastic that there's people such as yourself out there who actually can, in a natural way, in a non-harmful way to the entirety, to the whole body of your client can actually help alleviate these huge problems that can lead to really serious diseases down the road. Those enzymes that you just spoke about, enzymes are a very powerful topic and product that are all natural. Like the serapeptase coming from typically silkworms, like these are natural things. And just what you use it for. So again, I'm not, I can't provide you any medical advice today, right? No treatment plans, no cures, but that's the number one thing that we recommend for any type of cyst or tumor is serapeptase mm-hmm. at a high dose, 120 plus. Mm-hmm. We're using that multiple times per day. But then there's also natokinase, great for cardiovascular and blood pressure and, and, and any type of vascular-based issues. And so these things are amazing products and they're not used enough. It's your body's use of enzymes to break things down that can it just even people with joint-based issues or autoimmune issues using things like bromelain and rutin and trypsin and proteolytic enzymes, again, provide amazing the repair and healing. And the reason is you take them on an empty stomach, they move through into your bloodstream and they actually go look for the issue. They go look for the necrotic tissue, the diseased tissue in the bacteria, and it goes and breaks it down. It's absolutely remarkable. And again, this is just never talked about. You can do a whole mm. show just on enzymes and it's that remarkable. And for people who are interested in your work and working with you, can you 
Give us a quick overview. If somebody comes in who wants to heal his gut, what are the different steps you would take with them to heal the gut? What kind of a plan do you have for their digestive system? So we work with people all over the world. We currently ship labs to 27 different countries. I had two practices in Boston, Massachusetts. I had those until 2019. People used to fly in from all over and it was great. It was amazing. We were seeing 20,000 people a year. We've seen over a quarter of a million people. And although I'm very grateful for that, we now reach over 20,000 people a day instead of a year through the power of podcasting, the internet, all these things. So our goal now is just to be able to provide more practitioners with these tools, as well as anybody anywhere in the world. The company is Equalife. It's E-Q-U-I.L-I-F-E. And someone can purchase a lab or they can become a wellness client. And it's just like we're meeting right now face-to-face on video and someone could do that. You don't need to sit in someone's office to be able to do that. You can share with them your symptoms, what you've gone through, your health history, and then you'll be recommended some at-home lab tests. Or if you can't, if they're not in your budget, totally fine. Then you work on a plan. Meaning if a person can't afford lab testing, you have to still be able to help them. So then what do you do? They say, you basically, we ask them questions. So we have to figure out, does this person that likely have parasites or is it mainly just bacteria and yeast overgrowth, which most people have? And so the questions then you start to ask then are, okay, is it worse at night, like when you go to bed? And if the answer is yes, okay, maybe it's parasites. Maybe it's just poor digestion at dinner. That can happen. Do you have any anal itching? That's a really good sign for parasites. Okay. Do you get night sweats? Yes. Okay. So if we can't test now, we're doing the parasupport protocol, And then after that, we're doing an intestinal cleanse. Basically, it's five days of binders just to get everything out. Then we're doing the CBO protocol, which is 12 weeks, which is the fluorofilm, the biofilm disruptors that I spoke about, the antimicrobials, and then the probiotics. And then we're healing and sealing the gut. And that's the zinc carnosine, glutamine, what's the curate, the calcium, and aloe vera, right? So that goes into that. That's what we know heals and seals the gut. So it's a regimented process that people do right at home. And what we do is we typically meet, lab test, get on a call, go over all of their results. Because oftentimes people aren't just testing their gut. They're looking for heavy metals. They might be looking at their omega-3s. They might be looking at the vitamin levels, mineral levels, electrolytes, you name it. And then they get a customized protocol for them. And then we check in another four to six weeks later, making sure they're on the right path, tweaking their program if needed. And that's, that's really, it doesn't honestly, to me, like you can go to integrativehealthpractitioner.org. There's like a thousand practitioners there. You can go, you can meet with your local naturopathic doctor, but if you're not following the intake, results, personalized plan, follow up to tweak your plan, it's unlikely you're going to get well. And that's because even if you get someone that cares, they customize a plan for you. If you don't have a follow-up to adjust that plan as needed... It's just so difficult because even the best plan, like you could be doing everything right on the CBO protocol and you're following it and you're still bloated. We're like, okay, let's just look at the variables that changed. Did you add in new foods? They're like, yeah, I've never eaten chickpeas before, but now I'm eating chickpeas. Okay, let's remove chickpeas for three days. And then all the bloating goes away. Okay, that's the only thing that was wrong. Like we just had to fix that. But if you don't have a practitioner that cares and knows how to do that, then you just get frustrated. And you're like, oh, it's another program that didn't work. And we've all been there. I was there for 10 years before I met. I was getting on, then I would relapse. And then I would get again, and then I would relapse. And none of the practitioners I met with, they were helping me, but they could never tell me how to stabilize because they didn't tell me how to reintroduce foods. So I never knew how to do that part of it or reintroduce hermetic stressors. I couldn't go... Once I felt great, 
I would just go back to the gym every day, play basketball, and I would get sick again. I would get run down. So there's a way to reintroduce everything in your life as your body gets stronger so that you don't what? You don't just overwhelm it right away and fill up that rain barrel and go back to where you were. And, um, and that takes time. So again, this is a healing journey. Nobody gets better overnight and you shouldn't get better overnight because if you did, then you're just masking symptoms. Like again, there's a little give and take. And it's also, so I just want to let people know too, that I will have times of less sleep and more stress in my life. Like when my when one of my daughters was born, okay, more stress, less sleep, great times, but we're not getting a whole lot of sleep. That's not the time to do longer intermittent fasts, go harder at the gym. I don't want to increase my stress and my stress has already been increased, but we don't talk about that enough. I mean, like all the things you still want to do intermittent fasting, you still want to do sauna, but you don't want to go to exhaustion because you're already exhausted. So that, <laughs> that's what I try to preach. <laughs> and I think that's so wonderful and so important that you mentioned this, Stephen, because a lot of people, we want to experience change immediately. And while we, a lot of us have learned to be kind to others, we still need to learn to be kind and patient to ourselves and to our body. You know, our bodies have often been through a lot, but just give them the time to heal and relapses can happen. Take two steps ahead. Sometimes we take a step back, just continue on the journey. So we focused a lot, pretty much most of the time on gut health and healing. And as I mentioned before, your expertise, your wealth of knowledge is in so many diverse areas. What is at the forefront of your mission right now? Is there anything new that we should be aware of? My main goal is to open source at-home functional medicine lab testing. I just don't want people to say, my doctor is not going to do this. They're not going to test this. They're not going to look at that. And I still believe that everybody should run their blood work once a year with their doctor. It's a great thing to do. You look for actual disease state. But if you're looking to get well or lose weight that you haven't been able to lose, or you feel like you're aging at a much more rapid rate, you need to look for your deficiencies and your toxicities. So vitamins, minerals, omega-3s, amino acids, electrolytes, et cetera, are, would be what you might be deficient in as you start to get older and you have more stress. And again, the more you're pushing your body, the more you're going to be deficient if you're not getting those nutrients. And then the other part of it is toxicities. The toxicities are the heavy metals, the mold, the yeast, the bacteria, the parasites, the H. Pi, whatever, viruses, anything that you're exposed to. So our goal is to say, you can test for all these things. It's not a mystery. If you haven't gotten well, it's only because you don't know the underlying root cause. Once you find out the underlying root cause through at-home lab testing, then you're able to customize a protocol. And it really is just, it really is about knowing your body. And there's no better way to do that through at-home lab testing. And the reason why I'm such a huge proponent is that I would never have gotten well had not done at-home lab testing because I would never even known that I would have Addison's disease unless I went to a so alternative health practitioner and we ran an at-home uh, essentially thyroid adrenal hormone test because then I saw I wasn't producing cortisol. So I'm back to my medical doctor, which I shouldn't have done, but I did. And I said, listen, I don't think I'm producing cortisol. And they said, I don't know what this test is, but we'll run an ACTH stim test and we'll see. And they couldn't believe it. They were shocked because at 17, this doesn't typically happen. Although I didn't have this done until I was 19, two years of going from specialist to specialist that yeah, I had Addison's disease. I was not producing primary Addison's. And so again, this is just, that is my mission. My mission is to share with people, no matter how long you've been sick, no matter how long you've been dealing with it, no matter what you think your genetics are, if you're still with us, you can get well. That's the bottom line.
Outstanding. Thank you so much, Stephen. And someone such as yourself, I'm very curious to know about whether there are any practices that have accompanied you, whether short-term or long-term in your life, that have elevated you mentally, physically, and or spiritually. Is there something that you would like to share with One of the I'll do a professional. When I was studying to be a doctor of naturopathy, I did my internships. I chose to do my internships overseas. So I actually lived and worked inside of Ayurveda clinics, traditional Chinese medicine hospitals. So I was in India, I was in Sri Lanka, I was in Beijing, China, and I was over in the Netherlands and Europe doing these internships. And I exposed myself to every different form of medicine. And my goal was to say, Whatever form is best, that's how I'm going to practice as a doctor. The interesting thing was, and I pretty much knew this within three months of my internships, that there is no one best form. And as Americans and Westerners, we always think that there's one best way of doing things and there's only one way. That's it. But I realized was like Ayurvedic medicine is amazing, but so is genetics. So is TCM, traditional Chinese medicine. So is bioregulatory medicine. So is naturopathy. So are functional medicine lab tests. Like they're all great. And so when I realized this, I said, oh, it's about integrating the best of everything. And I was, I've done martial arts a lot in my life. So it's like Bruce Lee developed a Jeet Kune Do form of martial arts saying, I like that. I like this. I like this. I'm going to use this to make it better and never be afraid to update things. A lot of people are so dogmatic about their beliefs. Oh, I have to be carnivore because I wrote a book on it. I have to be keto because I wrote it. It's like, okay, but allow yourself to be open to yeah. new possibilities. And if you're teaching this, remember, it's always about the patient or the client. It's not about you. I don't need to show off or do anything. This is not about me. I've learned from all these great teachers and books. And this is what I feel is the best, not for me, but for you. I'm already... So I've done what I need to do. Now I want to share this with you. And on a professional level, that's the very best thing that I've done on, a, on my own health level. The very best thing that I've done is two things, and they all revolve around sleep. So one, stop eating three to four hours before bed. It's nothing has improved my deep sleep or my HRV better more than that. And we mean, we don't have enough time to go into all these different things, I'm sure. But, and then a sleep schedule, wake up and go to bed within a half hour of the same time every day. You'll wake up then naturally, you'll begin to reset your circadian rhythm. Nothing has helped me more in my life besides all the gut protocols, all those things, but ongoing health, my resiliency to stress is dramatically higher because I work within rhythms. And when you work within rhythms of your day, work, eating, rest, exercise, sleep, your body knows what's coming next. And it's just, it knows, it just knows how to repair and it knows how to ramp up energy as well. That makes a lot of sense, Stephen. And for people who want to do a deeper dive about all the things that you share, where can they reach you? Where can they learn more? My main website is stephencabral.com. It's Stephen with a PA. You'll find my podcast there, The Cabral Concept. That's a daily short show. And my books there, everything's right there. So you'll be able to find me on social media, et cetera, et cetera, right there. Outstanding. Dr. Stephen Cabral, thank you so much for being our guest on the Superhumanized podcast today. It was an absolute pleasure. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me on. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution.